Oh, here's something you might find interesting. Tell me everything. So during my like third rewatch of this documentary and doing yeah. all my side googs and stuff, <laughs> it turns out I don't really care who D.B. Cooper is. And I think it's weird that all these people like want to be related to him. No! He's a dick, this guy. Who cares? <laughs> That's true. That we are in total Right? God, D.B. Cooper sucks. <laughs> Julian Pezzavalli. Oh, hey, Patrick Hines. You guys, I'm going to say this right at the top. My voice is scratchy AF, but I am fine. It doesn't hurt. I just have like a winter cold and I can't make it go away no matter how much tea I drink, girl. I know you've been sleeping a lot and yes. drinking a lot of tea. Yeah, but I, I've listened to podcasts where people sound like this and it's hard to listen to because it makes me feel like their throat hurts. I'm totally fine. Nothing hurts. And I, you know, I'm just going to get through it the best I can. Look, I did this to you last December, if you remember. <laughs> I completely lost my voice. I felt fine, but I could not speak, and yeah. I thought my life and career was over. So <laughs> I totally get what you're going through. You guys, just really quickly, if you want more GP and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 150 full bonus episodes to download a bitch right this second. Everything from All Begun in the Dark to Don't F with Cats, Fear City, Serial, The Staircase, Lorena, The Jinx. The Vow. The Vow. Tiger King, you probably said. Yeah, it's a big party. I say it every time. Oh, and after parties also. We're just hanging out with you. Ad-free versions of these episodes. It's yeah. Yeah. Everything you could ever want from GP and me, starting at the $5 level on the pates. Also, you guys, find our website. Check out our merch store. We're giving every dime of our merch sales to charity. Yeah, I have ideas. I want to talk to you about them. Ooh. I have ideas. I have more ideas for merch. So more merch is coming. I, that's a big announcement I just made. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Travel down the road back again. Hey, girl, switching it up on you this week. Oh. Guess Who's back? One of our favorites, Honey. Hey, Honey. Hey, girl. All right, imagine this. Let me paint a picture. Please. You make a list of the gifts you're going to buy for the holidays, and then someone out of nowhere randomly gives you the money to help buy one. And that's exactly what Honey is doing. They're helping pay for $1 million worth of gifts. That's true. I'm not lying. I don't lie to you. Yeah, and you guys are probably wondering, is this the same Honey that automatically searches for promo codes online and, like, basically helps you save money by accident? Yes, girl. Yes, it is. So glad you asked. Yes, it is. <laughs> With Honey, you can also make a list of all of the holiday gifts you want from certain stores, and Honey will email you when the price drops on anything on your list. So you guys, you just add Honey to your computer, you create a free account, and throw some holiday gifts on your drop list for a chance to win. Honey will randomly select winners and then give them money to help buy something on their list. I'm all about books this year. I'm really into yeah. sending people books for Christmas because I'm not seeing anybody, so all my shopping is online and everyone's getting books. You know what I want? I want bath bombs, girl. Everyone's getting books and you're getting bath bombs. You guys, no purchase necessary. You need a PayPal account to redeem the prize. Only valid in the U.S. Giveaway ends 12-21-2020. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash TCO. That's joinhoney.com slash TCO, you guys. Good luck. TikTok, bath bomb o'clock. I hope everybody wins. That's not how it works, but that's <laughs> what I want. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the mystery of D.B. Cooper and why everyone is obsessed with being related to this guy. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. So D.B. Cooper is famous, famous, famous in the true crime world. Like, mm -hmm. every podcast has covered it, but I feel like it never gets taken seriously. It's like, D.B. Cooper is like the Bigfoot of true crime cases. It's like, for people who are like super nerdy about true crime, like me, like love the D.B. Cooper thing. So for it to get like a legit, serious HBO 
Mando documentary blew my mind and I loved every second of it. Do you have a theory? You must have a theory. I don't have a, I think it's this person, okay. but I have a, at least from what is presented here, I've narrowed it down. Yeah, I think one person is like super wrong and we'll get to her. Wait, what do you mean? I think it's the woman who thinks it's her uncle, LD. It's not him. Oh yeah. Oh, I looked her up today. Marla. Yeah, she belongs in like the FX Zodiac doc right, where that guy yes. like needed the Zodiac to be his father. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot to say to you, Marla. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Don't turn that dial, Marla. We gotta have a little bit of a conversation. Just as we were starting the roll down the runway, the flight attendant next to me handed me this note. It said, you're being hijacked. I've got a bomb. Come sit next to me. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, master criminal. He demanded $200,000 and four parachutes. Then he disappeared. D.B. Cooper. Don't know his identity. Don't know where he came from. Don't know what happened to him. There was one key thing your husband said to you. I'm Dan Cooper. There are thousands of people who say, I know who Cooper is. I believe it's my dad. I know. I know my uncle was D.P. Cooper. I realize I sound exactly like those people. I think he's one of the slickest cats ever, you know, walk on the face of the earth right now. Man's beat the system, so to speak, a little bit. So it opens with like an oxygen style five minutes of coming up on. I was just going to say, this is a real documentary and suddenly we're doing a previously on. I was like, previously on what? I know. What, what? Come on, HBO. I know. They're just giving you the primer. If you're not a true crime nerd like me, you don't know. So we get this on-screen text and it says, in November 1971, a man who became known as D.B. Cooper hijacked a plane flying out of Portland, Oregon. And so after demanding a $200,000 ransom, D.B. Cooper parachuted out of the hijacked 727 <laughs> and 10,000 feet over Washington State. Bum bum, wait. No trace of him was ever found. Yeah, the case is still the only unsolved act of air piracy. I was like, oh, I love that term. Air piracy. In American history, there remain several key suspects. So what this documentary is, it's going through like four key suspects. None of them are with us. And it's all yeah. of their family members insisting that their husband, their dad, their friend is D.B. Cooper. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with how much you hate it. I feel like such a nerd. I feel like we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle from my seventh grade like science project about it. I love talking about this shit. They really wanted me to care. And when someone yeah. really <laughs> wants me to care and I know it, I'm like, oh, now I'm not going to care. Oh, sorry about that. That is you to a T. Oh, my God. Just let me feel it. I'll totally. get there. Yeah. I'm a super empathetic person. It literally keeps me up at night thinking about yeah. how I want everyone to have a friend and be happy and like <laughs> be like safe oh, and warm and a full so stomach. Nice. Like, that's all I want in the world. But don't force it on me. I'll get there yes. when I get there. Totally. <laughs> John, the filmmaker. So we're in Pensacola, Florida. Are we ever? We're with a woman named Joe Weber. Let's say it together, girl. She's, She's a, a piece. Of work. work. He treated me nice. He, the, the, when he would dance with you, he knew exactly where to put his hand on your back. I mean, it was, I'd never been treated like a queen. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take this. I'm sorry. I'm not even gonna ask. I'm just gonna tell you. Uh, Joe Weber, she's got her sippy cup ready to go. Yeah. 
She has these bright white socks on and her feet are on this little ottoman. Yes. And like, I know she's in her home. Like, I know we're, but she's like right at home filming this in the figurative way, but also we're literally in her house. Um, And she's making herself comfortable and she's like stretching her toes out in these bright white brand new socks. Like the socks are so new that that little plastic thing that holds them together might still be there. Like she just ripped them apart. So Joe immediately is basically like used up a lot of good years that I could have put somewhere else that I should have put somewhere else and I lost a lot of my life I mean you know I wish he had never told me anything and I'm like Joe Joe. And I'm like, so this is how it's going to be? We're just going to talk. All right, I'm in. All right, John, let's go. Let's go. I'm here. Because for me, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be about them, like, showing us the suspects. I was, like, screaming. Daisy was like, Daddy, what is wrong with you? I'm like, Daddy's really excited. Yeah, and for once, he's not screaming about how much he loves you. Embrace it, kid. (laughs) You you get a night off. Daddy's watching his true crime stories. I cannot say her name without her saying, I know you love me. I know. So then it's like suspect number one. So suspect number one is Joe's husband, Dwayne Weber. And Joe was telling us about this deathbed confession. We were married March the 27th, 1978. He died on March the 28th, 1995. And that's where the story starts. Joe, we will learn, is a terrible storyteller. Joe (laughs) knows there's a story there, I think, but doesn't really get it. And she's Uh like, you know, I went to a Justice Pilla. He's on his deathbed. And we get a reenactment, you guys, too. Don't think we're not getting a reenactment here. And she's telling the story, and she's like... I went to a Justice Pilla, and then he tries to tell me something. He kept in rambling, uh, rambling, I buried a bucket, and I don't know where I can't find the bucket. And then out of nowhere, (laughs) off camera, we just hear someone correcting her and basically giving her a script of what to say. Joe. Uh, you know it better than I do. No, the day, the day you brought him, you brought him to the hospice care and you were helping him put on his pants. Uh Uh-huh. And you asked him about his knee. Yeah, he said he he heard it jumping out of a plane. Right, then... You got to hospice care, and when the nurses left, he wanted to tell you a secret. And we learn through the lower third, this man is Tim Collins. Yeah. His title in the lower third, Joe's Memory Man. Because Tim comes out and he's like, no, 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 Joe, you were helping him put his pants on. Remember about when you put the pants on? And Joe's like, oh, right, 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 right. That's when he told me that he hurt his knee jumping out of a plane that time. And I'm like, Joe. You know, and this guy, Tim, is much younger. He's like in his, like, I don't know, 30s. I, throughout this entire thing, can't decide if he's hot or not. Every time he pops up, I'm like, is he hot? I can't decide, girl. I don't know. <laughs> But Tim, we will eventually get a fuller picture of their relationship. But Tim's like, yeah, no, 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 Joe, start with that. Start with that. He's directing her and giving her a script. So if you notice, she just kind of slid in the, oh, he hurt his knee jumping out of a plane. That's number one, right? So then Tim's like, girl, no, 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 go back. What was the secret he was going to tell you? So according to Joe, Donald is on his deathbed telling her about his past. And he's like, I jumped out of a plane. And Joe's like, you jump out of a plane. Come on, give me a break. 
bickering till the very end. Yeah, true. And then Donald is like, fuck it. Like, let it just die with me. Donald gets furious out of nowhere. <laughs> like in hospice, Donald's now yelling at his wife. So Joe's like, well, he keeps trying to tell me the story, but he had no idea what he was talking about. And Joe starts talking in circles. And John, the filmmaker, is he even jumps in and he's like, yeah, but Joe, what did he tell you, girl? Why am I sitting here? Why did I fly to Pensacola to talk to you? Tell me. Like, just get to it, Joe. But there was one key thing he said to you. I'm Dan Cooper. I love the drama of this moment, but like in the reenactment, he says, I'm Dan Cooper, and then he flatlines. <laughs> and the filmmaker's like, what did you do? Like your husband just confessed that he was T.B. Cooper. And she goes, I called the FBI. So Joe's story's got some holes in it, and it starts with that for me. Nothing, nothing. This makes sense, girl. <laughs> nothing. From Tim to the FBI story, Joe, Tim, the story, nothing makes any sense. None of it. So here's the structure of this. We're going to go back and forth between what actually happened on the hijacking, yeah. during the hijacking, with all of the people on the plane, and then we'll go through the suspects, too. So we're time jumping back and forth here. Yeah, and we go right back in time to see, like, ads for flying. Now, over 400 flights a day by 22 airlines serving over 80 destinations. You'll find this airplane much more roomy than the ones you've been used to. If this is what comes with the coffee, you can imagine what goes before. Oh my God, it's so fancy. They're slicing roast beef. I mean, my God, Danish with the coffee that they're pouring out of actual coffee pots. Like, at what point do you think they were like, we don't need to make this fancy. Why are we going through all this trouble? It was probably around the time they made the great decision to actually stop and like forbid smoking on planes. They were probably like, fuck it. It's not even worth it anymore. We can't smoke. But we meet, we meet Tina and she was a flight attendant on this plane. If you are familiar with D.B. Cooper lore, like the flight attendant is like a big fucking deal. So I, I don't know if she's given interviews before, but I've never seen her or even ever knew her name. And I was like, I just screamed. I think I kicked the coffee table. I was like, oh my God. Like, I lost my shit. I couldn't believe we were meeting her. Well, are there Reddit threads about, like, how garbage this airline company was? Oh, like, because yeah. se- all of these commercials are women, like, sexualizing air travel. Plus, one thing no other airline can ever offer me. Hey, big boy, why don't you come fly with me or whatever? And like, even Tina's like, we had to maintain a certain weight. I had to sign a contract for that shit. Like their their outfits were not appropriate for work. And she's like, I was 21. And she looks at us and looks directly at me and gives me that it was a different time excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we love Tina. We love Tina, but I don't care that it was a different time. And we get all these ads where, like, the stewardess walks past these men who, in unison, turn and whistle at her. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, like, blatantly illegal sexual harassment now. And women right. just had to, like, you see her smiling, and you're like, what is she really thinking? Right. And now, also, on the other end of the coin, we learn about how planes are being hijacked left and right. Great. We meet pilot William, who I love. This guy's a total fucking ham. And at one point, he tells us, like, there was a fair amount of frequency of hijacks, typically um, Cuban nationals who wanted to return to their homeland. Everybody on the airplane would get a bottle of rum and a couple of cigars and uh, got back on the airplane and flew home and thought it was really a fun thing. <laughs> Hijackings were kind of fun, you guys. Like, you'd think you were going to Cincinnati, but then some Cuban national would get on and want to go home, and we'd have to fly to Cuba. We'd all get a bottle of rum and a cigar, and we'd be home by midnight. Yeah, he describes it as a party, but then he's like, <clears throat> but this one was uh, this one was different. But this one was different because it was uh, hijacking 
demanding money. So we're at Portland International Airport. It's Thanksgiving Eve, 1971, and we meet Bill Mitchell. He's a passenger on the plane. Again, this is a big deal. Like, you're the guy that was sitting across the fucking aisle from D.B. Cooper. What? What? And also, this is, Bill introduces this theory, which then everyone just laughs about. They were like, security in an airport? What the hell is that? What are those words you're just saying? So Bill is sitting across the aisle, and he describes D.B. Cooper. He's like, he sat in the middle seat on on the back row on the right. This guy in his suit and tie had sunglasses on and it was dark. And I thought, that's not very cool. This guy is sitting across the aisle, like, in sunglasses, just, like, acting kind of weird. And Bill doesn't appreciate it. (laughs) Bill takes exception. He's like, I don't think that was very cool. No, he says not very cool. (laughs) And so there's a second stewardess on the plane, and she's not here with us. Her name is Florence Schaffner. They call her Flo. Yeah, they call her Flo. She was the number two flight attendant, and I feel like that just means, like, Uh she weighed in, like, a little bit more than Tina that week. So they're like, you're the number two on this flight. You're demoted. Totally. Idiot. Hey, nice weak arms, dummy. (laughs) Um, But so D.B. Cooper hands Flo a note. And of course, she's like, thanks for hitting on me, because that's the world. It's the world today. It was even worse on this garbage, garbage airline. (laughs) Um, Because that's how the airline was advertising itself, essentially, like sexually harass our employees. Great. Um, And so that's where she was like smiling and nodding. Oh, thanks so much. And whatever. And walking away. (laughs) And D.B. Cooper is like, no, 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 girl. I want you to read that note now. Yeah. And she's like, oh. Okay, uh, so she reads it and the note says, Miss, you're, um, you're being hijacked. I've got a bomb. Come sit next to me. So what does she do? She gives the note to Tina. She's like, no, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the number two. You're. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving it to the number one stewardess. I gained a quarter of a pound in water weight today. I was demoted. <laughs> Guess what? You're up, girl. So Tina goes and sits next to him. Travel down the road back again. Girl. Simply Safe is back. You guys, everyone wants to keep their home and family safe, whether it's from break-ins, a fire, flooding, a medical emergency, or if you're me, having somebody break into your house two times while you're home and asleep, girl. <laughs> yeah, well, good thing Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24-7 protection. Well, listen, with Simply Safe, you don't just get an arsenal of cameras and sensors, you get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night. They're ready to send police, fire, or EMTs when you need them most straight to your door. The Simply Safe cameras and sensors, they protect every inch of your home, whether you live in a tiny New York City apartment or a sprawling mansion in the Hollywood Hills. And look, they took our notes because the camera footage is really good quality, so you're not getting any of those grainy blobs. You actually see what's going on. It's amazing. You guys, you can set it up by yourself in 30 minutes. It's super easy. I actually even did it in less time than that. I did it in like 20 minutes by myself in our new apartment. All right, you win Simply Safe, I guess. I'm just saying, and we all know it's true. If I can do it, anyone can do it. All right, so right now, our listeners get a free home security camera when you purchase a Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash TCO. And you get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com slash TCO for your free security camera today. That's simplysafe.com slash TCO. Rest easy. <laughs> Sleep well. So Tina sits down. This is bananas. 
I mean, she had really the most interaction with totally, him out of anyone totally. because she's so she's sitting next to him and she's like, he ordered bourbon, yeah. smoked cigarettes, and Tina would because he had this trigger, this bomb, right? Yeah. So Tina would light the cigarettes for him because yeah. he didn't even want to take his finger off the trigger. Which I was like, also, did Bill across the aisle not see the trigger, girl? Like, what? I know. You're like noticing the sunglasses, but not the fucking trigger to the bomb. <laughs> Look, the sunglasses on a plane are very disturbing. <laughs> Tina also says, I wanted to run, but you know, on a 727, there's no place to run. And I'm like, I know. That's why it's so scary up there. Yeah. And so Tina says, like, he opens the briefcase, shows her everything inside, and he also said he wasn't going to be taken alive. That's pretty fucking scary. So we're back with Captain William in the cockpit, and he said that, like, we were rolling down the runway. All of a sudden, we hear chimes. One chime is usually, would you like a cup of coffee? Immediately followed by a number of rings. When a series of chimes rings, that is an emergency. One chime means, would you like a cup of coffee? Three chimes means, like, we are under attack. Yeah, it was like a hundred chimes, yeah. which is like, we're going through the handbook. Like, what does a hundred chimes mean, <laughs> Phil? A hundred chimes? It's an emergency, probably, right? And so Tina gets on the phone with them, and she goes, uh, We are being hijacked, and I'm serious. Tina, why did you have to say the I'm serious part? Is this the kind of shit Tina usually jokes about? No, because she they might be going to Cuba for a party. Right. <laughs> like William was telling us before, like sometimes it was kind of a fun little detour. All right, so you missed dinner. Right, but you got your own bottle of rum, some cigars, and you're fine. No harm, no foul. But this, this shit was real. There was no rum. There was no vacation. So now we're moving on to our second suspect. And our second suspect is Barbara Dayton. And to tell us about Barbara Barbara Dayton, Pat and Ron Foreman, and they're a very sweet dog. I know it doesn't make any sense that we're talking about a woman was possibly D.B. Cooper. We're going to get there in one second. Yeah. So Pat says something where I'm like, wait, did I hear that right? Uh, she's like, I was just hanging out at the airport as always. And uh, Ron took a break and he said, let's let's go over and talk to that lady that's out there on the field. They're like, they, we've seen her flying around this little area. And they're like, she's kind of a great pilot. She's daring. She's a little weird, but let's just make friends, which I love. So this woman, her name is Barbara Dayton. And she becomes friends with Ron and Pat. And like, bada bing, bada boom, every Sunday night, she's coming over to their house for dinner. Right. And after a year of these Sunday dinners and like hanging out, flying their planes, Barbara says, I have something to tell you. I am trans. Then she started telling us all the details details of what she had gone through and why she had gone through it. She was the, the first woman to have a sex change in Washington. I take issue with the documentary about how they handle this here. There's like a lot of misgendering that goes on with yes, Barbara. Yeah. But and so the filmmaker's like, so how did like the idea of D.B. Cooper even come up with Barb? The pilots always are discussing D.B. Cooper. It's you know. this area. Yeah, it's, it's a, this area. area. Right here and it's one of the, you know, a yeah. great mystery, you know. Every time there was an article that said that D.B. Cooper was an idiot, that he did stupid criminal. things, he was a common criminal, she would actually get angry. And so one night, they're all like hanging out, probably Sunday night, and they're all just joking around. And Ron says, you know what? I think we know who D.B. Cooper is. Yeah. I think it, it's it's Barb, right? Like, ha, 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 ha. And she got really mad. And she's like, don't you ever say that again. Barb, can't you just like not be like that? Can't you just have a sense of humor about the situation, Barb? <laughs> Seriously. but And it seems like she would get really mad and then be over it. Because, like, the, every Sunday, like, the, like right. two weeks later, Barb is there for Sunday dinner yet again. I could just see her being like, don't you ever say that. I will never speak to you again. All right, so next Sunday, we're at pot pie. So seven? Yeah. Seven o'clock? Am I, what am I bringing? The wine or what? Is it a potluck? Or, are we doing Italian this time? Okay, great. 
<laughs> so yeah, a week or two later, there Sunday dinner, whatever, and there's this article out in the paper that had a sketch of db cooper yeah. and so even though barb a week ago was just furious at the idea of saying like hey barb you might be db cooper <laughs> she does this thing where she's like combing her hair over like she had the aviators on and like they were she was like getting dressed as db cooper i said let me comb your hair to the side so we combed it to the side and we put sunglasses on and we had one of my old Instamatic cameras, you know, you take a picture and it develops. We were watching it develop and I looked at the sketch and I said, Jesus Christ, I said, she really matches. I think maybe she is TV Cooper. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like everyone at this little dinner party, it's Barb and Ron and Pat and two other friends, and they're like, you were definitely D.B. Cooper, and Barb's like, all right, the jig is up, I definitely am D.B. Cooper. Right. And the other guest at the dinner party screams, and we see a reenactment of it, it is hilarious. The couple that was with us, she panicked. She just started screaming, we're all going to jail now, you know. And she just went into a panic and she just tore it into little bitty pieces. There's a them-shaped hole in the door. Yeah. They, she's like, we're all going to get arrested now. We've been harboring a fugitive. And I'm like, you just had dinner, lighten up. <laughs> but this woman also like tears the photo into a million pieces. And I'm like, imagine if we still fucking had that photo. I know. But they say they're kind of afraid that now that they know that Barb was D.B. Cooper, that she's going to come back in the middle of the night and murder them. Right. Ron and Pat, can you take it down a notch? Because instead just like always yeah. she comes back the following Sunday for dinner and she ends up telling them all of the details about the jump like yeah. she had like the money clip and she described the dynamite and where she landed in the field well she jumped from 10,000 feet we know that's true she mm -hmm. didn't open the parachute until a thousand feet and I only know that you can do that and live because my sister was an airborne medic and they wouldn't open their parachutes until 800 feet oh my god 800 feet, I know. So she'd just be like free falling. Basically, yeah. <gasps> and not they don't jump from that far up either. So like it's certainly okay. not 10,000 feet, I don't think. Because they're jumping out of helicopters. Anyway, and then they're talking about the dynamite and Ron goes. And I said, was it, was it real dynamite, Barb? I, I don't do anything phony, she said. Got mad at me because I brought that up. <laughs> and I'm like, again, Barb, could you just, he's just asking a polite question, girl. Uh, people, when you do this, you have to understand, you just told these people you're D.B. Cooper. <laughs> It means a lot to these people for whatever reason. I can't relate. You have to understand that people are going to be like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, like, yeah. It's interesting to these people. So, Barb, you know that on some level. Take it down. Just let them have it. I'm just saying, like, Barb just doesn't sound like a lot of fun. That's all I'm saying. I know. And they say that, like, of course, if she had been D.B. Cooper, like, mm -hmm. she landed in a field. She, like, hid the parachute. She, like, put on her women clothing and, and a wig and walked out. A policeman could have picked her up. There, and, and, here she's got, a, she got a wig on. She's a woman. Who's going who's gonna to stop her? So now we're back on the plane. So we get the on-screen text, and it says, Northwest Orient Flight 305 departs Portland at 2.50 p.m. on a 37-minute flight to Seattle. And once in the air, Flo, the number two flight attendant, because she gained that quarter pound of water weight, brings another note, a second note to the cockpit. Lord Schaffner came up to the cockpit with the other note that had all of the uh, demands on it. $200,000 in negotiable currency. Four parachutes, fuel trucks standing by, and no fuzz. This guy wants $200,000 in negotiable currency? I don't know what that means. I think it means he'll take it however you got it. It doesn't have to be fives, tens, and twenties. 
He also wants four parachutes, a field truck standing by, and quote, no fuzz, girl. Get the cops out of here. Don't you call 911. <laughs> no fuzz. How 70s is that? The fuzz. No fuzz. But Pilot William is saying like, oh God, he wants four parachutes. <laughs> that means one for him and one for each of the three pilots on the plane. Like he's thinking he wants us all to bail out and then the plane is going to crash full of passengers. Right. And this is what, because we're all panicking and William's like, don't worry about it because the pilots <laughs> immediately called Seattle on what they describe as a discreet frequency. And William's like, oh, the FBI was involved stat like immediately. So don't worry about it. And then like, this is the beginning of the guy from the FBI, like FBI Bob, I think is his name. He's like, we had no plan. The boss is talking to Northwest Airline people, the airport people, the airport police. Everybody was coordinating. Who's going to do what? How do we handle this? What do we do? Yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, soup to nuts, start to finish, no fucking idea, guys. <laughs> I appreciate when people admit they don't have a plan. Totally. Because <laughs> I like to know. So, more on-screen text. It says, Northwest Orient Flight 205 lands in Seattle at 5.45 p.m. Tina skedaddles off the plane. She goes out to get the parachutes and the money. She comes back, and they asked D.B. Cooper, now that he's got his money and everything he asked for, like, can the passengers please get off? And he lets them off, girl. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, um... Yeah, yeah, no, that'll work. I have my money in negotiable <laughs> all singles, $200,000 in singles. Yeah, so everyone's like kicked off the plane. And this is finally when everyone on the plane, because I've been thinking the entire time, what do the passengers yeah, of this yeah. plane think? And finally someone's like, oh my God, were we just hijacked? When did Very you find cool. out? After we landed, when they brought the money aboard. The crew kept us ignorant of what was taking place, I guess, to avoid a panic. And so we really didn't know what was taking place. We cruised around for two and a half hours up there. It wasn't until we got off the plane, got near a vehicle, and it looked like a money bag was being handed over. We're seeing all this archival news footage of these people who were on the plane with D.B. Cooper! Who are learning this minute yes. that their plane was hijacked. But if it were me, it would be on my business card. I was on the plane with D.B. Cooper. My name is Patrick. I was on the plane with D.B. Cooper. I would never stop talking about it. Well, that's how Tina uh, introduces herself. She's like, my name is Tina, and... um. I was hijacked. Tina, not just you, girl. <laughs> I was hijacked. I was like, that's what Patrick would say. Me and only me. Do you know how many times I've said to my therapist, I know the pandemic isn't all about me, dot, dot, dot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Sometimes it feels like it's all about me. Travel down the road and back again. Girl, Daily Harvest is back. Look, I have a story, girl. What's up? I love stories. So I'm the kind of person who forgets to eat lunch, and then that means I'm a nightmare to my husband and my daughter, and then my family wants to leave me. <laughs> oh, sounds fun. So I bring my Daily Harvest cups. I pack them into the refrigerator at work. That way I never forget my lunch. Whenever I'm ready, I just rip the lid off. I pour my liquid into the blender, which I bought just for the office, and I got my lunch or breakfast in 60 seconds. I'm so glad that it's helping your relationships, because that really means a lot to me. So for me, I'm a big snacker. I crave the things that maybe you shouldn't crave. So why I love Daily Harvest is that it has all of these really, really healthy ingredients that I know I'm getting. So it's delicious. Yeah. They have like smoothies for breakfast. They have these harvest bowls and hearty soups. And I know, all right, if I have Daily Harvest, I'm good to go. I'm getting these super fresh ingredients because they flash freeze them. So there's no freezer burn. They still taste like they just were picked out of the ground a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know how people say like, eat your vegetables first, like do your homework before you have the fun stuff. Yeah. Daily Harvest is 
like the best kind of homework. It's delicious. They also make flatbreads, you guys. We had a flatbread for dinner the other day. Ooh. It has that sweet potato crust. It is as delicious as it sounds, you guys. All right. I actually have a note in my calendar to update my Daily Harvest choices. I'm getting that <laughs> flatbread tomorrow. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat clean, undeniably delicious food, no matter what your day brings. Keep it simple with Daily Harvest, you guys. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code TCO to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code TCO for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. Enjoy it. It's delicious. It's really fresh. And bring it to work. Bring it to work. You got to eat, you guys. <laughs> get a blender. Bring it to work. I don't want to hear another thing about it. Girl, FabFitFun is back. You know how I feel about this. I'm obsessed with FabFitFun. So if you don't know, FabFitFun is that seasonal subscription box with all the wellness products, the beauty products, the full-size products. What I love about FabFitFun, girl, it's passionate about showcasing amazing women. Did you know there are 16 female-founded brands in the winter box this season alone? Yeah, I didn't think I could love FabFitFun anymore. And then I was like, 16, you say? I know. <laughs> Here's something that we don't talk about enough. They have this really amazing community with FabFitFun. So so when you join FabFitFun, you get the boxes seasonally. Great. What do you do in the meantime? You join the community. You can meet and connect with other amazing members from all over the world. They have this great community forum. And throughout the year, they have these flash sales. So you can get deals on premium products that are like 70% off their retail price. In the meantime, while you're waiting for your box with 16 amazing women products in it. The seasonal boxes are never enough. You always want more, you guys. Part of it is the value. We always talk about you're getting full-size products. The total value of this stuff in the box is always like in the $200 range. Yeah, and the boxes are $49.99. Are <laughs> you kidding? And they're all about the winter box. It's my favorite time of year. So order your winter box today. Sign up now so you can snag these amazing products. They have these Kate Spade Rise and Shine stud earrings. <laughs> I love my little studs. You know I live in studs and now I feel super fancy because now they're Kate Spade. And that little marshmallow blanket that Daisy loves. That Daisy wraps herself up in every single night, you guys. Yeah. You get those when you customize your box, you guys. Right, exactly. So use coupon code TCO for $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. It's coupon code TCO for $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. Go and be all three. You don't have to pick. You can be fab, fit, and fun. Totally. Who says you can't have it all? Not me. <laughs> Oh, are you ready? Uh -huh. We're going to meet your nemesis. You guys, ladies and gentlemen, Marla Cooper is here. She's not my nemesis. I just don't really believe anything she says. Right. <laughs> Marla has spent hours in hair and makeup. She looks like a million bucks. She's been waiting for this moment her whole yes. life. That's a brand new dress. And yeah. honestly, good for her. Like yeah. HBO is coming to talk about this gigantic case that you like are insistent that you're a part of. Yeah. Absolutely get the new dress. Get totally. a friend to come over and help you with your hair. Like, oh. <laughs> like, I don't begrudge her. That's not my issue. All right. <laughs> so suspect number three is Marla's uncle, L.D. Cooper. And Marla's yeah. last name is Cooper. And for real, Cooper. Like, that's not made up. So her uncle's Dewey and L.D. are, <laughs> as Marla says, pretty rowdy. And... <laughs> She was walking through the woods with them a couple yep. days before Thanksgiving. And if you remember, the hijacking happens on like Thanksgiving Eve. So she's saying right. like a few days before the hijacking, we're all like on a family like hunting trip in the woods. Right. And LD, who she claims is D.B. Cooper, is her favorite uncle. And so right. she's like walking around with her uncles talking about hunting and they're like plotting and planning. And, and they said, oh, we're going to go hunting tomorrow morning. 
I said, are you going turkey hunting? And they kind of laugh. Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go shoot us a great big turkey. And they're just sort of playing a game of mental keep away with me. Like they've got a secret. What they're telling me is not the whole truth. She's eight, by the way. We should mention like this is 1971. She's like eight years old. Everything she says sounds so rehearsed and dumb. Yes. Like she, it just sounds like she's reading a script. In fairness to her, like this is probably the 800th time she's told this story. But I hear sure. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like no eight year old would remember the details. Yeah. Because what she's saying is that like her two uncles were talking about the hijacking they were going to do in a couple days and they just like didn't want her to know about it. But yes, you're right. There's no way she would remember this. Right. And then the next morning, their uncles show up to the house and LD is in the passenger seat of the car. He's wearing a white shirt with blood on it. He's nearly unconscious. Yeah. Then the uncles get out of the house and LD, who remember was just unconscious, <laughs> is like, we did it. We hijacked the plane. We're rich. Our money problems are over. Then according to Marla, the uncles are like, okay, bye. They leave. Yeah. Her dad has zero boundaries, according to Marla, <laughs> because her dad turns to the eight-year-old and is like, as soon as my uncles left, my dad sat me down and he swore me to secrecy, telling me it's a matter of life and death. You cannot talk about this to anybody. This is so stupid and never happened. Like, there's part of me that's like probably one or two of these things happened. But sure. like, the way memory works, like, there, you cannot tie them all together 25 years later. There's just, it doesn't work like that. She's telling this like it happened yesterday. Like, yeah. the memory is so clear and the quotes and the conversations. And it's like, girl, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. So we're back on the plane, and remember, all the passengers have gotten off. So it's only the pilots, D.B. Cooper, and Tina. Tina's the only one that wasn't allowed to leave. Yeah, they let Flo go because, you know, that water weight. <laughs> so the plane takes off again. D.B. Cooper demands that the plane fly to Mexico City. Guess who's super excited about that girl? <laughs> William! It might be a party after all, you know? Where's the rum? Hey! I guess I said something about, oh, goody, maybe he wants to go to Acapulco. We can, <laughs> that beats Seattle on a rainy night. William, he really wants to go to Acapulco. Uh -huh. So Tina is telling us that like she's trying to keep him calm and herself calm. She's saying that like I'm turning on the intercom without him knowing it so they can hear in the cockpit that like this guy's anxiety is really escalating. Yeah, and and so is mine because yeah. this is when things get <laughs> yes. really bonkers yeah. because D.B. Cooper is demanding that they fly the plane at 10,000 feet because now the more he says that, they're like, oh shit, he's going to jump. Like that's, that's why he's doing this. So I just want to add that he says, 10,000 feet flaps down and the gear down. I don't know what any of that means. Just put a pin in it. I want to come back to that later. Okay, great. Because Pilot William is saying a little bit now, like, here's the thing. Planes don't work like this. Right. Like, when the plane is at a certain altitude or whatever, like, the plane won't do what it has to do when the doors are open and the stairs are down. Have you always wondered that? I've always wondered what happens if that door is open at, like, mid-flight? Does the plane just, like, get sucked into a black hole? Like, what happens? Are you seriously asking me if I've ever thought of that it's all I think about on the plane it's that and like it's ju we're just gonna fall out of the sky that or the doors are gonna be blown open and I'm gonna fly into oblivion and that's the end of me that's it <laughs> I hate that flying is so terrible for you. That's awful. Well, here, if you want to know, like, what's in my brain, like, what I'm visualizing, it's this scene in this documentary yes. because it's this terrifying couple of minutes. It's really, really, it is scary to watch. It's like the doors are open, the lights are flashing, the oxygen masks are down. Right. It's it, it, When you think of, like, pure chaos on a plane, that's yeah. what the next, like, five minutes of this documentary is. 
And and it sounds like the plane's going to explode, by the way. Yeah. I hated it. Because now he wants to jump. Remember, he's got those four parachutes. Right. And Tina is saying... He wanted me to open the air stairs. There is a bulkhead door that opens inward. And it's very noisy when that door was open. At that point, he just said, I'll do it. You go up front. William, when Tina arrives in the cockpit, William goes... And I said, Tina, I've never been so happy in my life to see a young lady. Ever the charmer in the middle of a fucking catastrophe. William, now is not the time. The plane sounds like it's about to explode. Do you not see the lights flashing? So he's got to get the stairs down by himself. But the wind is so crazy that William gets on the intercom and tells D.B. Cooper they have to slow down the plane. That, to me, is the that, that's when the plane falls out of the sky. Absolutely. How does it stay? up to begin with i'll never know <laughs> so he does it db cooper somehow gets the slide door open and jumps and this is when they say in the cockpit and we got a big bump we felt those stairs bounced back and closed and we felt a felt a pressure bump in our ears and so they can sort of pinpoint that like that time and location is where he jumped. So when they're looking for him on the ground eventually, like that's the area to start. Right. So D.B. Cooper jumps and then like the obsession begins. Like before he hit the ground, I was born and became obsessed with this. There were like 30 Reddit threads about it like that, totally, like immediately. Yeah. They just appeared. <laughs> and so one of the reasons why not only is this it's a fascinating situation but the airline industry was kind of a mess and everyone was getting laid off so there was a lot of anger at the airline industry and so db cooper comes in gets away with stealing two hundred thousand dollars and everyone's like he's a folk hero i think he's one of the slickest cats ever you know walk on the face of the earth right now you think he's sort of a hero oh sure i just think that uh, anytime that a fellow's got this much nerve and is successful this far that everybody's kind of rooting for him a little bit but uh a man's beat the system so to speak a little bit and I respect a man who takes his time to uh, do a job well done. He put people through a terrifying ordeal. This guy's not a hero. He's not a good guy. Are you kidding me? I know, I know. So now, suspect number four. Yes. Is Richard Floyd McCoy. Girl. Yes. He's very handsome. Great. <laughs> I didn't notice. I didn't use any of my upper register for that either. I know. You got very serious. I was a little worried. (laughs) Here's the thing with Richard McCoy. They're like, oh, no, no. It's totally possible that D.B. Cooper lived because Richard McCoy hijacked a plane, jumped off it, and lived to tell the tale. Right. And so they're saying like the, the fact that this guy lived means that it was possible to have lived. And so we meet this guy, Ben. And Ben was like this guy McCoy's roommate. And they were really good friends. They were in the Army Special Forces together. And, like, he talks about how, like... And uh, McCoy ended up being my roommate. And he talked an awful lot about hijacking. Uh, You've got to remember that I was a special forces officer. And in there, we would plan raids and ambushes. And in this case, we just carried it a, a little further. What would you do? Yeah, they've like acted out and rehearsed and Ben wants us all to know. I wasn't serious about it. We just were doing it for fun. Like just acting out how they would hijack a plane. Right. And so 
We get this on-screen text that says, in 1972, nearly five months after Cooper's disappearance, Richard McCoy hijacked a Boeing passenger jet flying out of Denver, Colorado, and basically, like, he copied what D.B. Cooper did verbatim. He had, like, a gun, and he had a grenade, and he asked for half a million dollars, so he kicked up the dollar amount, but he asked for four parachutes, and he jumped Mm -hmm. out of the plane, and it was, like, verbatim the same thing. And it cuts back to that guy, Ben, who had been the guy's roommate, and he goes, I was right here. And I, and I discussed with the wife, I wonder if that's McCoy, and called the FBI. Ben routed this guy out! Immediately, he heard about a hijacker, and he didn't even like see the guy's face. He was like too busy making a sandwich for lunch or whatever, and he's like, a hijacker, you say? I bet that's old McCoy. He did it, all right. But the thing is, he was right. So the the FBI goes to McCoy's house. They raid the place. They find the $500,000 in the attic minus $20. This guy peeled off a $20 bill to go get lunch. Good for him. No, not good for him. These are terrible people. And so Richard's like... And he told me, you know, some of that money was for you. You know? Well, shoot, you should have told me. And I'll be honest, I felt like I'd betrayed him, but I knew it was the right thing to do. Like, at the end of the day, don't hijack planes. And if you're going to do it, don't tell your friends about it ahead of time. Yeah, I'm going to go with don't do it. Yeah, that, don't- <laughs> that solves a lot of problems. If we start it right at the top, you know, just don't do that. Travel Girl, Third Love is back. You know I love Third Love because Third Love is that company that believes that there's a perfect fitting bra for every woman and every woman I've ever known has had a hard time finding a bra that's right for them until they get turned on to Third Love. Yeah, because it ticks every box, right? It's high quality, good, comfortable, great, and they start at just $45. Honestly, if you've bought one bra in your life, you know that getting a really comfortable, high quality one for $45 seems impossible. I don't mean to interrupt, but tell them how they customize the bra to your body. Oh yeah, you mean the Fit Finder quiz? Uh, I'm a pro. (laughs) They help you find a size and style that fits your breast shape and your body because we all have different sizes and different needs. I was a big shoulder straps were falling down. Not anymore. They ask you all these questions about just your body and your breasts and how it works for you. And then bada bing, bada boom, you get a comfy bra in the mail for 45 bucks. Third Love is all about revolutions this year, not resolutions. So 2021 is your time to shine. You focus on what makes you happy, starting with better bras and underwear. When you feel great what you're wearing, I'm telling you, it works wonders. And it starts with a bra, right? Yeah. Your undergarments. Totally. It's the first thing you put on. So you guys, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 10% off your first order. That's right. Go to thirdlove.com slash TCO right now to find your perfect fitting bra and 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash TCO for 10% off today. Third Love is going to be your first love, you guys. I say it every week. (laughs) Yay. I love how much you love third love. I do love third love. How many times can I say love in one sentence? Let's see. So now it's like the next day, right? And we learned that there's like this massive manhunt in Oregon over the place where the pilots felt the bump, which is like where they assumed D.B. Cooper jumped from. Right. So it's like the FBI, the Army, the local police, the Boy Scouts. I know. When I say everybody, everybody. (laughs) And so now you guys like we're at Mount Rainier, Washington, and we see... There's just like some weirdo in a cape is welcoming us to Cooper country. Well, you're in Cooper country, so uh, welcome. 
Yeah, Bruce Smith is, um, he's a D.B. Cooper enthusiast, to say the least. Yeah, I'm interested in this. I'm not going to go live in the woods near where the guy jumped out of the plane in an RV that I've literally turned into a shanty town so I can be in the place where D.B. Cooper jumped out of a plane in 1971. That's what this guy Bruce has done. That's what he's done. And he has thoughts and feelings and opinions and opinions that are facts, according to him. (laughs) And the thing is, like, so much so, because he's been so obsessed with this case and following it and, like, and talking about it. Like, he moved into the woods in the spot where he thinks D.B. Cooper jumped like that is bananas and he also takes credit for putting pressure on the fbi because he's like the fbi really screwed up this case they wouldn't even be looking at this case if not for me and i'm like bruce (laughs) i get it i get that you're really into this but i feel like maybe pilot william who made the first call where he's like hi i'm pilot william i'm being hijacked right now i really think that was what tipped them off to the case Bruce. Yes. And and Bruce is basically here to say, like, they're asking Northwest Dorian, where was your plane when Cooper jumped? Well, we don't know where the plane was, but we know it was 813 in the evening. It would have been around here somewhere. Well, around here is about 20 to 25 miles of woods. So Cooper had 40 hours lead before anybody was on the ground looking for him. So if he did survive, like, no one's ever going to find this guy. No, he's he's gone. Right. And so it cuts to this guy, FBI Bob, and FBI Bob has had it. He's the opposite of me because everybody probably in his life wants to ask him about this case at all times and he never wants to talk about it. So he just goes, I think there's a good chance that he hit a tree or a rock or fell in a body of water and died. And then he goes, I also think he might have known enough about what he was doing that he was able to steer himself into an area where he could land and get out and go. You're not Bob! No, Bob's like, you know what? I've dealt with people like Bruce for a long time. I don't care. I'm going to say, yeah, he could, yeah, sure, he could be there, he could be, whatever, who cares? Like, but he's done. This is, he's the you. You should work at the FBI. You would care exactly the right amount. You'd be perfect. I have too many jobs. I know. So now, cut to February 1980. Some kid who they say is eight years old i'm convinced he's 28 we see him on the news there's no way this kid is eight he's eight years old so this kid finds bundles of money on a beach in washington state and we get footage of this kid he's 32 years if he's a day how do you feel right well i feel pretty good i feel a lot better after we get the money though you know after it's all over And the thing is, this is eight and a half years after the skyjacking. And Bruce tells us, and I know this is true, that the money is the D.B. Cooper money because the serial numbers line up. So this is the first and really only evidence ever to exist of what happened to D.B. Cooper after he jumped out of the plane. I can't believe we're talking about this! I'm so excited. And so the question is, like... How and when did the money get there? Because right. the money was, we know it's the D.B. Cooper money for sure. Yeah. So the money was wet and soggy. It had holes in it. And Bruce tells us. Money was wet, soggy, had holes in it. It was very compressed as if it had been under weight. And the the paper, the bills were stuck together. When you tried to peel the bills off, you'd get chunks And what we learn is that the FBI comes in with their, like, digging crew. They're trying to date when the money was there. And they have this really cool way of doing it where they can dig down and, like, analyze the sand from different levels. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And so the crime happened in 1971, right? Mm -hmm. The money was found at the very top of the sand. Mm -hmm. And when they dig down, like, several feet below where the money was found, the level where the money was found, that sand is from 1974. So, like, that money had to have arrived there 
relatively recently because right. the sand up at the top is from 1980 and that's basically where the money was found. So something happened like, and we don't know what. Well, Joe has an idea. Joe in Florida. <laughs> so remember Joe? Joe was the first one. Her husband was like, I'm Dan Cooper. Beep. And then flatlined. Right. She has Tim, her memory guy, right. is her little sidekick here. Still can't decide if he's hot or not. A jury is still out on that girl. So Dwayne Webber is her right. husband and that's one of the suspects, right? Suspect number one. Right, number one. And so it's we're learning all about Dwayne Webber because we're going through like the photo albums that at first Joe can't find and she freaks out and then the memory guy is like, Joe, they're over there. Holy cow. I don't know where the albums are. They are not where they're supposed to be. And then it's like, we learned that Tim is like, I'm just like a normal guy, super obsessed with this case. I just like cold emailed Joe and then they became friends. That's the story. But now he like, he says he grew up five miles from where D.B. Cooper jumped. Does he live with her in Florida? Like, does this guy have a job? What, Tim, what is your story, girl? I don't know. But Tim is basically showing us, I guess, what he does with Joe. Because he's like, look yeah. at look at all these fake IDs that Dwayne had. Yes. And-, and all of that was a revelation. Like, after the husband, Dwayne, died, that was when they found all of the fake IDs and all of the fake identities. So that's the driving license. This one is a fake one. John Carson Collins. I did not know who that was. That was his picture on there. What was all this about? And then to find out that he had actually been in prison under the name of John C. Collins. And Tim points out that, like, the year 1971, right after the hijacking, Dwayne bought two brand new cars, paid for them in cash, right after the hijacking. And that same year, he only made $1,000. Like, that is interesting. Like, that's interesting. That's interesting to me. Yeah. So now we're in 1979, and it's six, so this is six months before the kid finds the ransom money on the beach, right? And this is why this story is important, because this story is going to possibly connect to how the money got to where it was when it got there, when the kid found it. So Joe is telling us the story and I'm like, God help us all. Joe's telling a story now. Thank God we have Tim. Yeah. Like, oh my God, Joe. So Joe also, Joe like doesn't know anything about D.B. Cooper, according to Joe, because like, so she's with Dwayne and they're going, they're in Seattle for some convention or whatever. And they went early and Dwayne's like, I want to show you the sights of Seattle. And basically he just drives her around to all of the D.B. Cooper tourist sites. But she doesn't Mm -hmm. know what that is. He's saying cryptic things like. One point he he stopped at was not too far from Lake Maryland. And he pointed about at a place and he said uh, something about that's where Cooper walked out of the woods and I didn't know who Cooper was. This is the other place where Joe's story has holes. Because she says, he was saying all this weird stuff. I didn't know what he meant, but I also never asked any questions. Joe does not strike me as the kind of woman who doesn't ask questions. Right. Like, that that does not compute to me. But then at the same time, Tim is like... I would say even today, she doesn't. she has these memories, but she doesn't quite understand all the significance of different parts of them. Whereas I can listen, I'll filter out a lot of it, but I, I can pick out pieces that seem... Um, relevant. Well, I just help Joe control her memories. So I tell her what's important and I, he, he's basically like, I, he leaves breadcrumbs about what she should eventually be saying and I'm like, I think Tim just wants Joe to say the story he wants to be true about Dwayne. Totally, right? totally, yes. And the bottom line, the whole thing that's important about this story is that they're staying in this area near Seattle where they wake up one morning in 1979 and Dwayne is like, I gotta go do something and he comes back hours and hours later she just says, OK, 
okay. She doesn't say who, what, where, why, when. Just lets him no. go. And he comes back covered in mud. And then he's got this bag. And she's like, what's the bag? And he's like, it's just trash. I'm going to get rid of it at the next stop. They pull over at a river, like in Seattle. And he throws this brown paper bag into the river. Joe throws a fit. I hit the ceiling. I said, you littered. You put what? You put a bag in the water? A bag of trash in the water? I was angry because I had been raised, you do not contaminate your waterways. You do not throw things in there. She's very, no, she's very mad that her husband is a litter bug. I agree. Yeah. Also, like, people ask your partners questions. Like, Joe, I, I, I appreciate that you care about the environment. I really do. Yes, don't be a litter bug. Do. Don't throw plastic in the fucking lake. Like, I get it. Yes, yes. But maybe just be like, why are you filthy all of a sudden? Like, it looks like you were digging somewhere. Can you answer right. wh- where you were? Like, that is totally reasonable for Joe to want to ask where her husband has been and why he came back filthy. Because it's not until... Like 20 years later, when Dwayne dies, they get the D.B. Cooper information. Tim, the memory guy, shows up and he's like, oh, you know what? This all makes perfect sense. That paper bag that he threw into the river in the in 1979. Littergate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, litter, the big Littergate scandal of 1979. Exactly. He's like, that was a bag full of cash. What happened was he went to that area in Seattle where he buried the money because he's D.B. Cooper. He dug it all up. Most of it was intact. Some of it was bad. Rather than throwing it in the garbage, he put it in this paper bag, threw it into the river. It floated down river. And then like a couple months later, this kid found it. And so like that's Tim saying this is irrefutable proof that Dwayne was D.B. Cooper. Right. So now we're back to Marla, who thinks her uncle L.D. is D.B. Cooper with her apparently, according to her, her dad with no boundaries, who like tells her everything about the hijacking. Because the FBI is involved and it's getting like later and later. It's like this is like 2016 or something. And so according to Marla, the FBI is like Thanksgiving 2011. I actually met the FBI agent here in Seattle and he told me that he was closing the case. He said, I'm satisfied that you're telling the truth. I think everybody here is satisfied. I believe you, Marla Cooper. I think we'll just close the case on this. And they literally do, you guys. And I have, like, this is not in the documentary, but I looked this up because Marla spends all this time saying, like, right after Uncle LD showed up at the house all bloodied and we did the hijacking, like, my parents drove him to the bus station and we never saw him again. Like, this reporter tracked him down. Like, this guy was alive and well. Really? They found him. Like, he wasn't living off the grid trying to hide from the FBI. He just, like, lost contact with that part of his family. He kept in touch with other people in the family. And, you know, one other thing that's not covered is that, like, the FBI does have a DNA profile. And it's kind of off the record because they don't know for certain that the DNA profile came from D.B. Cooper. And, like, off the record, they compared L.D., Marla's uncle, to this D.B. Cooper profile, and it wasn't a match. Of course it wasn't. And nonetheless, like, the FBI is here to just close the case. Yeah, and this guy, this Matoya guy, is basically like, you can make your podcast about it but I'm done I'm out like he's like if you if you like he basically says like if you want to do the work for us but like we have to move on to other things it's been way too long with this D.B. Cooper situation we're over it and it's kind of amazing because Mm -hmm. this kind of ends with the filmmaker saying to Marla so you think your uncle was D.B. Cooper and she goes I know my uncle was D.B. Dan Cooper And then it cuts to all of our interviewees and he does the same thing to each of them. And it is kind of amazing. You think your husband was D.B. Cooper? I know he was D.B. Cooper. Do you believe that Richard Floyd McCoy was D.B. Cooper? You know, I don't know how you can just dismiss all of the evidence. 
So do you believe Barbara was D.B. Cooper? Definitely. And then we start to see this rolling montage of all these letters and the hundreds and thousands of people over the years who've claimed that their like relative or friend or uncle or father or whatever was D.B. Cooper. And it's like, oh my God, we're never going to know. We're never going to know. But here, I can't believe we didn't talk about this yet. I think the filmmaker is clearly a listener. You know why? Yes, say it. Tell them. At one point, because I think he's not talking to Bruce in the woods and he's like, these people all have a D.B. Cooper shaped hole in their lives. And I'm like, someone's a listener. Hey, girl. <laughs> Lady Paint at the Five, what's up? So, girl, before we get out of here, do you have a theory? If it has to be one of these four suspects, who do you think it is? I think if it's any of them, yeah. it would be um, Barbara yep. or... Dwayne, Joe's husband. If if it's yes. if it's any of these people. So I disagree. I think it's either Barbara or that McCoy guy. The oh. McCoy guy who did the other hijacking because part of what we didn't get to was that they were saying McCoy was the original D.B. Cooper and then did it again five months later because he lost the money on the way down. Yeah. But my thing is like Barbara and McCoy are the only two people who know about planes mm-hmm. who like might know how to like use a parachute. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's true. And Joe is the, the worst storyteller we've ever met. I love her, but that's where I tell her. You guys, we did the mystery of D.B. Cooper. I... I love the torture of like not ever knowing what is actually happening in these in these stories. It goes right along with our unsolved mystery stuff, girl. Like we're never gonna know, and I love the torture of it all. Well, I'm glad you're happy. <laughs> I hope you're happy. <laughs> you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, find us on the Patreon at the five dollar level. You get over hundred and fifty full bonus episodes to download a bitch right the second, girl. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the Vow and Tiger King. Don't f with cats. I'll be gone in the dark. Fear City. Lacey Peter. Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murder. It's everything. Ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah, after parties, check-ins. Girl, I'm going to talk about my Ted Haggard email situation. You guys, I was emailing with Ted Haggard. It started out nice, and it did not end that way. <laughs> I have told Mike this story like six times already. I'm like, can I just tell you again? But but that last sentence, though, right? And he's I like, know. I know, it's bonkers, but I've heard this six times already. <laughs> it's been 30 minutes since you told me the first time. I just was taught in a loop like over and over and over again. It's so crazy. I had a, a solid email relationship with Ted Haggard for one day. Well, not anymore. Nope. <laughs> what, girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Dead Man's Line. What is this? I don't know anything about it. This is very much like, um, uh, was it Evil Genius where the guy had the bomb strapped to him? Yeah. It's a little bit like that. It's a it's a, it's a story about some guy taking another guy hostage and the footage is oh, un. And he's got like a shotgun like chained to this guy's neck or something. I've seen this. And he like, the way he just controlled the media, like the media, like he was calling radio stations and they were like, hey guy, like what do you want us to tell the news? Like it's, it, it was it was a crazy like 48 hours of just chaos and for some reason we have like every ounce of footage from that time it's bananas we see it all so stay tuned for the trailer for dead man's line and then our hilarious outtakes and that's it girl loving you loving you i'm so glad you had a nice day thanks i'm hoping to get my voice back for next week girl i mean we'll see fingers i mean you're, you're doing everything right except recording with me but like you're going to bed early and drinking tea so that's really all you can do all right we love you guys we love you thank you bye, bye. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared them to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And by God, I'll have vengeance. If he pulls this gun and points at me, I'm going to shoot him. I hope they don't think I'm bluffing. They think I'm bluffing? My God, he's going to shoot him on television.
He's coming out! He's coming out! I charge, and they've admitted it! He had a cable around a man's throat attached to the shotgun, so there's no way to get the shotgun away from the man's head. <laughs> In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. I knew what a shotgun sounded like. And I knew that was a shotgun. She is like fully slurping her iced coffee. It reminded me of John Wayne Bobbitt slurping his like vodka soda at eight in the morning. Remember that? Remember John Wayne Bobbitt? Fuck off. Uh, John Wayne Bobbitt, not you, Joe. Daddy's watching his true crime stories. Now she goes, I know you love your work, but you love me more. She's like, I don't care about any of it. I'm fine. Pass the energy. Don't don't worry about it. I'm with my hamster. Leave me alone. She's like, yeah, and you're annoying. Like, you know that, right? right? Like, I don't need to be around you all the time. Like, this, you're actually doing me a favor. Can you go to work now? Bye. Fuck it. Let it die with me. (laughs) You know what, girl? When I'm on my deathbed, those are going to be my last words. I'm going to let everybody wonder what I'm talking about for the next hundred years. Then we're talking about smoking. (laughs) You're not allowed to just like actually light a fire in your hand, probably. (laughs) No, but the way we say it in that primitive way, like that's what a lighter is. What are we in Hocus Pocus? Where he's like, oh, he makes fire in his hand. (laughs) Do we say flight attendant now? I wrote it down as flight attendant because I care about women's rights. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just fuck myself then. Um. (laughs) I'm just trying to get through it, girl. That actually feels better. It feels better up there, girl. But it doesn't. <laughs> it does at the moment, uh-huh. but it doesn't after the fact. It's the equivalent of a hangover because it feels nice to do the shots, and then the next day, you pay for it. Thank you for putting it in, in terms I can understand. <laughs> so glad I can finally speak your language. <laughs>